Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But again, that's bwhustle.com slash join. Alvin Kamara, Mike Evans, and Devontae Adams crush the souls of many. We're talking all that and more on Roto Viz Radio. Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman, a man who may have pissed off Calvin Ridley. Matt, tell us what happened. Um yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's uh I I guess on Thursday I uh, tweeted something out about how DJ Moore has production that's fairly similar to uh, what Calvin Ridley has done over the past couple of years, uh, and that DJ Moore is significantly younger. And I said, I literally did say, Calvin Ridley is great. I did say that in the tweet. Uh, and then my next sentence was something like, uh, DJ Moore might be better. And uh, Calvin Ridley <laughs> responded with, one word, not even a period after it, just one word, no, um, which was hilarious and got uh, a lot of Falcons fans chiming in. Uh, and then I guess some Panthers fans chiming in and maybe just general sports fans. But uh, it's uh, it's it's really interesting. I think it's funny that uh, an NFL player, one, is uh, like, like searching for his name to see if anyone says something or maybe someone sent it to him. Um I think it's funny that he took the time to respond. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think Calvin Ridley is great. I, I'm actually, I'm not backing down that. I think Ridley uh, is one of the best in the league, but DJ Moore does have the potential potentially to be better because he's so young, uh, you know, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever. It's uh, very interesting. Yeah, that definitely is. And I mean, the response that you received when you said it's it, it wasn't like this statement that was really taking anything away from Ridley. It was really just kind of opening the door. And the, the funniest part of it, as you mentioned to a couple of Falcons fans coming at you, was one of the things that they were talking about was the touchdowns. But apparently, you know, when Julio Jones right. wasn't scoring <laughs> touchdowns, it didn't matter. Right. Yeah. The, the touchdown thing, it's, uh, it's very two-sided for, for Falcons fans. You, you kind of can't have it both ways, but, uh, I, I mean, I don't think the touchdowns matter, you know, like obviously I think Julio Jones is one of the greatest ever. If he had a season in which he had 1500 yards and no touchdowns, I would still think that he had a fantastic season. Um, I, I don't know really how much touchdowns matter, uh, in terms of their predictiveness, uh, for what a guy's going to do in the future. And then also in terms of like a, a representation of a guy's skill level as a player, uh, and his value to his team. Um, but, uh, I mean the, the Ridley thing, I, it's, it's worth, I think, placing this in, in context a little bit, um, for fantasy, let's say dynasty specifically, how many players or like, do you think Ridley is like a clear top five dynasty wide receiver right now? He's certainly on the fringe because I think that you still have out of the old guys that are in that grouping. 
I still think that you have Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, and maybe arguably Michael Thomas hanging onto those spots. And then you have A.J. Brown in the conversation, D.K. Metcalf, Justin Jefferson. So I can't say he's a lock in the top five, but I mean, he's definitely a lock in the top 10. And he's right on that. Yeah, he's certainly he's certainly top 10. I would say cusp of top five, if not top five, I think. So you kind of started with the old guys. I would start with the young guys. Mm -hmm. I would say Metcalf is definitely ahead of him. Justin Jefferson, definitely ahead of him. AJ Brown, definitely ahead of him. And then after that, you start to get onto the older guys. And Devontae Adams is probably ahead of him. But, you know, like Adams is, you know, starting to get a little bit older. Like it, it would be conceivable to think that Ridley outproduces Devontae Adams over the next three years. Uh, you know, Tyree Kill is there. DeAndre Hopkins is, is there. Michael Thomas. But yeah, I think Ridley is probably in the top five. If, if not, they're very close to it. But then you start to think of some of the same the same things when it applies to someone like DJ Moore. And I think most people would probably have more outside of the top 10, but think of all of the things that you would like about Ridley and that you would say uh, about him. And then just think of, of DJ Moore. And like, if I told you in a vacuum that a guy without good quarterback play and really actually without all that many targets in one of these seasons had back to back seasons with over 1100 yards, actually like, pretty darn close to 1200 yard seasons back to back. And he's not yet 24. Like if I just told you that you would say that that guy had to be in the top 10 and maybe top five. And like, that's, that's pretty much all, all that it is like as good as Ridley is, he was still older as a rookie. Like he turned 24 at the end of his rookie year, DJ Moore is not yet even 24. Like the, the funny thing in all of the responses was that almost no one addressed the issue of age. Almost everyone talked about touchdowns, which was like the clear red herring and all of it. Almost no one talked about age. And that is actually the thing that if, if DJ Moore is better, it is because of the age. Right. And so, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, Thinking about this from the dynasty perspective, I actually do think it's much closer between Ridley and Moore than everyone would probably imagine at first glance. Yeah. And, um, you know, shocking that nuance was being neglected on Twitter, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> not, not Subtext, not shocking at all. Yes. So um, that's up there with things that I've enjoyed, but not quite as much as when uh, Peter Overzet and Pat Corain tracked down uh, Steve Smith in Vegas one time and had him just dump on Denny Carter. Do you remember that? Uh, yes, I do. But refresh. So for, for people who aren't aware, yeah. yeah, for people who aren't aware, I believe that Pat and Pete were in Vegas for um, like a, they were covering the FFPC live drafts there. And Denny had had, I forget exactly how it came up, but like Steve Smith had somehow got pulled into Twitter with Denny Carter and he was, you know, talking about how like Denny can't know what's going on. He's never played the game and all that stuff. And I guess like Pete and Pat were just walking around and they just happened to see him and they were like, oh my God, that's Steve Smith. And um, they got him on camera and they just had him address Denny Carter. And I forget exactly what he said, but it's well worth going to look up. Um, so, you know, find Pete or Pat on Twitter and they can probably tell this story much better than I would have. But nonetheless, uh, you know, we, we see these players coming at these analysts, Matt. You have now stepped up to a new rung in the fantasy industry ladder. <laughs> uh, I guess so. One thing that was great about this was, uh, I believe, third string quarterback uh, Kurt Benkert uh, <laughs> jumped, jumped in and said it, it, he sounded like classic uh, sort of like third string quarterback who probably knows the game very well, but doesn't really know all that much about sort of like numbers or yep. predictiveness. And it sounded, I mean, it was like a, a Sims impersonation, you know, it was like, this is what's wrong with stats and numbers. It's like, okay, this is, you, this is what's wrong with analytics. It's like, okay. Okay. Which is really funny because the entire yeah. thesis just goes back to that DJ Moore is so young. Right. Which yeah. like, yeah. If, if, if Moore and Ridley, are equal, right? Which I think a lot of people could say, or even if you give the edge, you still have that big gap in the years. Anyways, we, we can digress from this. Um, nonetheless, I enjoyed it, unless there's anything else you have to get off your chest. 
No, although I, I should say, no one wants to hear about my fantasy team, but oh god, uh, it, it is. I, I guess I just want to say, like, one, uh, congratulations to uh, the commish of the longtime dynasty league that I'm in because he is finally winning a championship. Uh, so, congrats to him. But uh, it should have been me. It should have been me. But anyway, congrats to him. Okay. All right. Uh, Alvin Kamara destroys with six touchdowns. Matt accumulates more than 56 fantasy points, 155 rush yards, six rushing touchdowns, also caught three of five targets for 17 yards. This performance was incredible. I actually went back and pulled uh, week 16 numbers since 2000, and the closest player to him in a week 16, so in a finals matchup, was 2017 Todd Gurley with 49.6, followed by 2001 Marshall Falk with 47.5. In 2019, Saquon Barkley, I already forgot this, 43.9 in 2019. Other players on the list, you see Falk again. Uh, Warwick Dunn, Stephen Jackson, Ontario Smith, Jamal Lewis, Eddie George, and Maurice Jones-Drew. But by the time you get to Jones-Drew, who's 10th down on the list, it was actually only at 35.2 PPR, and that came in 2006. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to say other than it was, uh, I mean, it would be hard to lose your matchup if you had Alvin Kamara. I mean, there were people who actually did it, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely amazing performance. was, And I think was one of the most amazing parts about this was that um, he still didn't really do anything as a receiver. Like he just absolutely crushed on the ground as a touchdown scorer. But, you know, like the most valuable part of Alvin Kamara for the past four years has been his ability as a receiver. And in the one game where he goes totally off, like probably, uh, I mean, the career game that he will have, uh, he still did basically nothing as a receiver. Yeah, absolutely wild. Uh, And the other great part about this was how unnecessary some of these touchdowns really seemed or how they could have just gone to somebody else, but they just kept punching them in. I loved it. And then Mike Evans rolls up a 40-pointer, but then is outdone by Devontae Adams, who chimes in with 43 of his own in a three-touchdown game that at one point last night was looking like it was going to be this very fun matchup in the snow between two good teams until the Packers really ran away with it. But I was curious, so I did the same exercise looking at wide receivers. In 2000, Terrell Owens put up 54.8 on the Bears with 20 wrecks on 22 targets, 283 receiving yards, and a touchdown. But 2002, Matt, Amani Toomer, a name I have not heard since probably 2002 against the Colts, 10 of 12, 204, three touchdowns. And then actually Adam Thielen in 2016, Antonio Brown in 2018, then Des- Oh, I remember that 2018 game. Yep. Because <laughs> that, was, that was one of the ones right after I said Antonio Brown was falling off a cliff, oh. and then he just dumped it on me. That was, <laughs> that was his last game. That was his last game with the Steelers. Yep. Um, and then so Des Bryant in 2012 is essentially tied with uh, Devontae Adams. And then you'd have Anquan Bolden in 2007 ahead of Mike Evans, who then would be ahead of 2001 Torrey Holt, 2005 Santana Moss, 2016 Doug Baldwin, 2016 Jordy Nelson, 2012 Roddy White. Long way of saying a pretty historic day in as far as week 16 fantasy finals performances go. Um, I don't really expect you to have much to say on those, but I will open up a window in case you wanted to comment. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like what we've seen out of Mike Evans the past two weeks just shows how perpetual how perpetually undervalued he is. Um, now, like week to week, his performance is often uneven. You know, like a very boomer bust wide receiver, but uh, year to year, it's pretty even. And uh, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, it looked like Evans would probably miss uh, a thousand yards for the season. And that'd be the first time in his career, like first time in seven years that he wouldn't hit that mark. And then, you know, after 110 yards two weeks ago, 181 yards last year, he's now just 40 yards away from hitting a thousand yards again. I mean, seven years in a row to open his career, 13 touchdowns. 
you know, he's still just 27. Uh, he's on a Hall of Fame pace. Like, if you look at what he's done to this point in his career, he looks like a Hall of Famer. Uh, I mean, people don't really think of him in that way, but like we are witnessing a Hall of Fame career. Well, um, I don't think I'm necessarily going to disagree with you, but I actually want to just kind of take it to this point of you mentioned that he was a boomer bust player. I historically love to push back on when people are, are called boomer bust players, because what I find is generally they're just not busting all that or they're not booming that much. They're busting most of the time. But actually, a very interesting distribution of points for Mike Evans. So if we look at the last three years, he's been held to under 10 points 28% of the time, but he's also gone between 25 and 30 points 14% of the time, and he's gone over 30 12% of the time. So you're looking at about nearly you know half of his distribution coming between under 10 points, and then above 25. So it, that actually is a really interesting uh, split that you that you see there, and I will give him the boomer bust designation. Uh, but yeah, you know, and it makes you wonder, right? Like, if you had more time with Evans and Brady getting up and going, maybe some more things clicking for Tampa Bay, and maybe if this was a more normal year, what he and Brady may have been able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what if they had actually had a preseason? You know, it's uh, it is intriguing to to think about what could have been this year, and then also like what could potentially be in future seasons. You know, because I, I mean, I don't think this is Brady's last year. Like, I think he has at least another year in him in Tampa Bay, maybe longer than that. Uh, they could be pretty special for a year or two after this. For sure. And then just yep. to say something about Adams. I mean, like the best wide receiver in the league. I don't, I don't think it's even, you know, like debated at this point. Um, after week one, uh, I wrote a piece saying like at the time that like he's, he's been the best receiver in the league since 2018. And some people kind of pushed back a little bit on that saying like, just because he had one big week in week one and just because Michael Thomas was injured, like you can't take the title away from Thomas. But like, I don't think anyone at this point would really debate that Adams I mean, you know, there are other great receivers, but I think Adams is the best receiver in the league. Yeah, I mean, I uh, don't see how anybody could really... I mean, you could make a case for another player, but if anybody's trying to push back on you saying that he belongs to be in that conversation, then that's just ludicrous. And, you know, last night you got to see in bad conditions how unaffected he was by it, yet he probably was affected on some level. So he really is just absolutely amazing. Yeah. So he's he's missed two games and part of a third game, and yet he still leads the league with 17 touchdowns receiving, and he's number three with uh, 1,328 yards receiving. Like he has a chance to to finish. Like this is like a Josh Gordon type of performance, like what Gordon did in his second season, where he missed two games and still led the league in receiving. Like Adams has a chance to do it because Kelsey might sit out. Kelsey's leading right now. He might sit out week 17 and DeAndre Hopkins is going against Jalen Ramsey and Hopkins is only about 50 yards ahead of Devonte Adams. Like Adams has a real shot to, uh, to finish. And, and by the way, uh, bringing this back to Calvin Ridley, Ridley has uh, 1,322 yards, just six yards behind Adams. So he's in fourth place, but if he goes off without Julio Jones, I'm assuming Jones isn't going to play in the season finale. Uh, if he goes off, he could end up leading the league in receiving and uh, you know, Sean corner in the off season, looked at the odds that were out there and said that Ridley was undervalued at 90 to one. So I, I have a ticket out there and a few other people have a ticket on Ridley 90 to one to lead the league in receiving. And like that is surprisingly still live at this point. If things just break a certain way, but Matt, he just catches the ball and falls down. He can't produce yak. How could he possibly put up this yardage? Good, good point. Uh, he just needs to be targeted really far down the field. <laughs> All right. Um, you were talking about Adams. Let's take a quick look, though, at Aaron Rodgers, because there is some more historical context here. But just zoom out on this season, because I'm sure some people will say that one thing that helps Adam is Adams is playing with Aaron Rodgers. That's probably true. Aaron Rodgers this year was a QB1 in 80% of weeks. 
He ranked yeah. second in completion percentage, five in pass yards, one in passing touchdowns, one in QBR, one in fantasy points over expectations per game, and is also the QB six in PPR per game. Absolutely crushed it this year. Definitely had a fantasy revival. Now, here's something really interesting, Matt. If you go back to 2000 and you look at the week 16 performances for quarterbacks, five of the top 12 belong to Aaron Rodgers. And then his 2018 with 43 points and his 2016 with 37 points sit atop the charts, followed by 2018 Deshaun Watson, 2014 Russell Wilson, interestingly 2019 Daniel Jones, then another Aaron Rodgers in 2010. But absolutely stunning numbers there that five of those top 12 week 16 performances have been from Aaron Rodgers. He's been just so solid this year. Question on everybody's mind as we look forward to next fantasy season is, is this going to continue for Rodgers? I think we have to assume it's going to continue for Adams. But what about Rodgers in this team that still doesn't really look to have a true number two wide receiver that it has discovered? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think it continues as long as Devontae Adams stays healthy uh, and as long as the offensive line for Rodgers does a pretty good job of protecting him. Um, I don't think he really needs much of a number two receiver. Like, they kind of cobble that production together enough among the guys who kind of play wide receiver two through four. Uh, and then they've actually gotten a pretty big lift out of the tight end position this year with Robert Tunyon, who uh, has done far better than what we normally see out of the tight end position in Green Bay. Like, Tunyon is basically their number two receiver. Yeah, which is absolutely wild. And I think we've seen enough from him now to to rule it as like the real deal. Like I actually yeah. think with the way that they're using him and what he's been able to do and the fact that Rodgers has looked to him in some important situations, I think there's reason to believe that he continues to function in this pretty high profile role within the offense. Yeah, I agree with that. So continuing with Green Bay, Matt, how about AJ Dillon loads <laughs> up 25.9 yeah. Points. What you got to love here is this was clearly a game where they they felt like they didn't need to rely too heavily on Aaron Jones. And then the game kind of got away from the tight end. So we got to see a lot of work from A.J. Dillon. But we've talked about how this is something important to track because we knew going into the season that Dillon was a physical freak. There was a lot to like about him. And there were reasons to think that he could function in a couple of different roles for this team. And he just needed to get that opportunity. Well, time is going to move along and this backfield could become his, depending on how things shake out for the team in the backfield in the next season or two. But I mean, when you put up 124 rush yards, two rushing touchdowns, and he caught his one target in the snow on what was a pretty nice play um, for anybody that saw it. I think you might have been pleasantly surprised with how how he made that catch. I, I think that this is very encouraging. Of course, though, It's important to put in context. It was just one game and we don't need to get too far ahead of ourselves here. Right. But I'm assuming that you were pretty encouraged. No, let's get far ahead of ourselves. Um, I obviously want to take this one game and blow it out of proportion. Uh, I feel very vindicated, (laughs) not not totally vindicated, but you know, like I, I was very into AJ Dillon. Uh, as a prospect thinking that he had a very good chance of being drafted in the second round based on his college production, his athletic profile. Um, I was surprised that green Bay was the team that drafted him in the second round. Um, But not a surprise that he actually did go in the second round. Uh, I thought he would do much more this season just based on um, the fact that they actually spent a second round pick on him. So very disappointed that we didn't see him actually do anything this year, but the fact that he did what he did in week 16 um, gives me a tremendous amount of confidence in what he might be able to do going forward. And then also gives me confidence in like the evaluative process that I had uh, and what I saw in him, because I, I do think that that is legit. And we should keep in mind, uh, Aaron Jones is a free agent next year. Yep. Um, Jamal Williams is also a free agent next year. Like this could be AJ Dillon's backfield as early as 2021. And for people who are in keeper leagues out there, um, like if Dillon is on the waiver wire, go get him now because he might end up being like the Aaron Rodgers lead back as early as next season. And with the way that the Packers have played this year, 
I mean, I do expect that this is going to be a competitive team next year, you know, probably for the next couple of years. Yeah. I think it does raise the question, though, um, how much value or what type of contract do you think that Aaron Jones is going to be able to command on the uh, on the free market, like trying to gauge the possibility of the team bringing him back? I don't know. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be pretty expensive because he's been able to, I mean, he's put up a lot of touchdowns. He's a good player. He can play in both phases of the game. And I think there's a lot on that stat sheet that his uh, agent can use in negotiations. Yeah, I I think that is true. And I think, I I think Green Bay might be fine letting him walk because they, they did just draft the like next Derrick Henry. I mean, it's ridiculous to say that, but like, I think that's how they, how they view AJ Dillon, you know, like they do have as their coach, the guy who was an offensive coordinator when Derrick Henry uh, broke out at the end of his third season, you know, they are similar from a uh, like physical profile. I like, I can see how they look at AJ Dillon and think like, okay, we can let this one other guy walk. Like that's why you draft someone like AJ Dillon so that you can let the guy ahead of him enter free agency and you don't have to overpay him. And like, I, I like Aaron Jones. He was uh, criminally underused his first two years in green Bay. I hope he gets whatever he can on the open market. Cause it's just tough for running backs, but um, I don't know. Like I just, I kind of don't imagine green Bay wanting to pay him all that much. And don't look up AJ Dillon's legs on a Google image search because your computer might just oh melt. God. It's, it's dirty. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, this guy's legs could single-handedly knock over the tallest mountain you've ever seen. I don't know where I'm going with this, but good God, man. Yeah, right. they're, they're tree trunks. Yes. They really are. They are. All right. I think that's enough Packers talk. Let's talk about a name I would <laughs> never would have expected to say in week 13, but Samaje P. Ryan racks up nearly 30 points. Giovanni Bernard also had a pretty good game. Of course, the Bengals signed Joe Mixon to a long-term contract. He's locked up for a while, missed a lot of time, but you have to imagine that when he comes back in to the fold for them next season, the backfield's going to be his. Or do you think there's any possibility that we see Bernard continue to get mixed in? I think Pirine actually might be a free agent. Um, so if you want, you can talk about if there's any runway for Pirine to continue in the league somewhere. I'm going to say that there probably isn't. Uh, but if you want, you can talk about him or you can talk about Mixon in this backfield next year and how it relates to Bernard. Eh, I mean, I think it's still Joe Mixon. I think Bernard will probably continue to be mixed in a little bit as the receiving back, but uh, I think it's, it's, you know, very much still Mixon's backfield and he is still a young guy. Uh, so that's, you know, something to, to keep in mind, especially for, for next year and for dynasty, he's only 24. Uh, I think guys who are, you know, 25 and younger, like 25 is sort of like on the cusp. I think he can still have a really good year as a 25 year old uh, when he turns 26 especially if he's coming off a really good 25-year-old season. I would imagine in Dynasty that would be the time to sell. Um, but next year, I still think he's the guy, and he's, I mean, still clearly very talented. Yep, that that all makes sense. Um, I'm going to share one note with everybody out there. My keyboard currently isn't working, um, which may lead me to have less information literally at my fingertips than I normally would. I pulled together a nice file here for us to that I could reference contracts, except that I can't I can I can't search Matt. So let's take a quick break here for a couple words from our sponsors and we will be right back. 2020 has already shaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only site that can move as fast as you do. 
Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31. Terms and conditions apply. The NBA is back in action and football is heading into the playoffs. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BETONLINE. Your online sports book experts. So, Jeff Wilson really crushes for San Francisco. He will be a restricted free agent at the end of the year. Do you think we see there's any chance, Matt, that we see Wilson popping up somewhere next year, stepping into a new role and being a fantasy player worth keeping an eye on? I think they keep him. Um, I think they like him in San Francisco because he's restricted. Uh, I don't think it will actually be that hard for them to keep him. And uh, Jarek McKinnon is a free agent next year. Tevin Coleman is a free agent. I'm assuming that they are gone, especially since Wilson is already ahead of them. Osert has just one year left with the team, but um, I mean, I think Wilson's ahead of him at this point. Like Wilson has looked very good whenever he's had opportunities to be the lead back and uh, he's younger. I think he's probably just as athletic of Mostert, if not as athletic, pretty close to it um, might be a better receiving back. Uh, I think Wilson's actually the guy in San Francisco next year. Like if you had to make odds, I would assume that Wilson is ahead of Mostert at this point. Got it. Um, let's say that comes to pass and we're heading into draft season next year with pretty good knowledge that Wilson's going to be the guy in the backfield. How high do you think people should be viewing him in terms of running back standings? Like, are we talking a guy that should be going somewhere in that running back 16 range, running back 12 range, running back 24 range? What do you think? Man, it's I would say, you know, like high end RB three, but like a guy with massive upside in the RB three range, because if he stays healthy um, and if he actually is able to keep the lead back job, which, you know, like both of those are uncertain, uh, especially in a Shanahan backfield. But if those things can happen then he could finish the year as like a, a top six back just because of, of the workload. Yeah, he definitely could. Now, the only problem is it feels like this backfield has largely been cursed. So hopefully that's get, that gets lifted next season. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that basically just means that he, he will be available at a discount. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, after 53 points in week seven, Tyler Lockett was a wide receiver three or worse every week after, <laughs> except for week 11. I think that this does cause some cause for concern, right? About Lockett and what he might look like next year. And then from a dynasty perspective, I think that this has really kind of depressed his value as we head into next season. Do you think he recovers or is this offense going to go back to one where there's so much work on the ground? The passing game is going largely to DK Metcalf that it's going to become a problem. Like, are you worried about Lockett? Uh, a little bit worried, but I mean, we're looking at a player who's having a season that's actually pretty similar to what he did last year in the year before. Like, I know that, um, it's been uneven and, uh, you know, like week to week, he hasn't really produced the way that you want, but he, I mean, he has a shot at having his like third straight season with, uh, a thousand yards from scrimmage. Like that's that's pretty decent. And, you know, like eight to 10 touchdowns each year over the past three years. Um, I mean, it's not as if it's not as if that's bad. It's just not nearly as prolific as people would want, but I would say next year, 
you probably can sort of pencil him in for production that's pretty similar to what he's done over the past three seasons. Yeah, so his target market share actually has gone up by one percentage point this year. A higher racer, Whopper's better. He has more targets than last season than he did in 16 games. Has only played 15 games. So I, I, my view with Lockett is this is a split that can be very, very distracting. I might not be taking him as high as I would have heading into this season, but I'm not going to let him entirely fall off my radar. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I should yep. say like he's he's the best ball pick. Like yep. and like that that gets thrown around way too much of like this guy in a best ball, but like he is that boom bust type of player where uh, over the course of the season there's a pretty good chance he's going to have a thousand yards uh, and eight touchdowns. But, you know, week to week, you don't want to have to play him in a season-long league, like redraft style, having to think, okay, is this the week I start him or do I put him on my bench? Like, you just avoid him, I think, almost entirely in redraft, and you invest in him in best ball. For sure. Um, Chase Claypool, Matt, I took a look at some of his comps, and I think it's worth having a quick conversation here about Claypool. Um, because the 42.6 points that he put up in week five, super enticing, followed up with 18 points, did have a couple of wide receiver two performances, but the back half of the season, we just did not see the flashes like we saw to start the season. Nonetheless, though, if you pull up in the Rotovis screener, some similarity searches for him, and you're doing this looking for other players in their rookie season, it's a pretty solid group of players. Closest comp is Larry Fitzgerald, followed by Sterling Shepard, DK Metcalf, Julio Jones, Roy Williams, Jordan Matthews, Terry McLaurin, Darius Slayton, Torrey Smith, Percy Harvin, Austin Colley, T.Y. Hilton, and Juju Smith-Schuster. A little bit of a mixed bag no, there, I, but I think that's pretty encouraging, right? No, that, that's a great list of comps. Um, I think it would be hard to find a better list of uh, of comparable rookies. And uh, just shooting from the hip, the guy who first came to mind uh, was DK Metcalf. Yep. Uh, and, you know, he had 900 yards, seven touchdowns uh, as a rookie. That is really comparable to uh, what we've seen out of uh, Chase Claypool this year. Um, and, you know, they, I think, are similar stylistically, uh, both in terms of, you know, like obviously their their size and their, their physical abilities at that size, but then also like the way that they play. It's not as if they are uh, like super polished. Uh, they are both very raw, but like they are just both so incredibly dominant um, that you can see how they could develop into superstars uh, if they are able to to learn the game just a little bit more uh, and then like harness harness their abilities. So uh, Claypool, I'm I'm super interested in him and what he can do moving forward. For sure. And I, I think, though, a, a thing that's going to be of concern for Claypool and honestly, Smith Schuster and then Deontay Johnson as well. And to some extent, James Washington. Um, what happens with Ben Roethlisberger? How long are we looking at him in Pittsburgh? Uh, an interesting thing as I'm as I'm sitting here looking at some of these Steelers numbers, too, is Deontay Johnson ranks fifth in expected points per game, was very inefficient with that workload, ranks 228 in fantasy points over expectation per game. Something to keep in mind here. If the Steelers... We, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that you if the ahead. Steelers' distribution of targets remains relatively the same and the quality is the same and Deontay Johnson just has average efficiency, we could be looking at a huge year for him next year. Well, I mean, this, this is what I want to talk about. One... Is Deontay Johnson good? Because I think there's a case to be made that he, in fact, is not very good at football. Uh, and then two, are we looking at a situation where next year we see Claypool take a Metcalf-like rise within that offense where he, because he's he's good, he's better than Johnson, he's efficient with his targets, he starts to take targets away from Johnson, the way that Metcalf has taken targets away from Lockett. And uh, we see that offense shift from a Johnson-led offense to a Claypool-led offense. That's definitely possible. My gut, though, which I, I haven't actually like explored this to question enough, it's interesting, though, because we saw early in the season the team really making a point to get Claypool involved. But it feels like 
as they started to play in games where they were being more challenged, they kind of fell back into this trying to get it to Johnson and Juju, not making a priority of using Claypool in different ways. Could he take that step forward? Yeah. There is a part of me though, Matt, that worries that we saw this huge flash from Claypool to start the season, and he's going to be the outlier in that group of comps. Because though he looked good, has this tremendous athletic profile, he didn't really match up entirely in that holistic profile like some of these guys, right? Like good athletic specimen, but I don't know if he's a Julio Jones. And I might have to go back and look. I might be wrong on this, but I don't know if he's a Julio Jones or DK Metcalf. Am I wrong on that? I think he's pretty comparable to Metcalf because like Metcalf, also had some unevenness as a rookie. Uh, it wasn't quite as marked as what we've seen out of Claypool, um, but it's not as if like it was every week he was consistently getting like 80 yards. Like he had kind of back and forth peak performances. Uh, I I actually do think that the comp with Metcalf is, is pretty close. Um, and really like with all of these guys, one, I just kind of like, I want to see overall production, um, you know, sustained, not sustained throughout the season, but across the season. And then I think it is nice actually to see like some of those peak performances to get a sense of like, what could a guy be when he's at his best? And, you know, just like we saw Metcalf last year when he was at his best, you could see like, this could be really good. We've seen that out of Claypool and all of the guys on that list or almost all of them. uh, We saw flashes from them seeing what they could be at their best and that it was, you know, something pretty close to the top in the league. So I'm encouraged by Claypool, but get back to Johnson. Is right, he well, good? Hold on, hold on. I have to make Wait. one correction here. Yeah. So Claypool actually 442 89th percentile 40 yard dash. So that's a ridiculous speed score, 99th percentile, huge burst score. Yeah. So I guess athletically he does fall into this ridiculous group of players. Back to Deontay Johnson. Is he actually good? Oh, Matt, I don't know what to make of this because I thought that Juju Smith-Schuster was really good, and then I'm not sure exactly how good he is now. I think he's good, but I feel like we're seeing something similar with Johnson. Good offense, good team, getting a high amount of volume to the point that you don't have to be very efficient with it, but it's hard when you look at a guy like Johnson, right? Really terrible speed score for his size. Only a four five three at the 40. The athletic profile isn't there. Didn't have a good breakout age. College target share was okay. If I remember correctly, didn't really jump off the page in terms of a dominator rating. So you're looking at one of these players that came in. There was the thought that maybe he could fill that Antonio Brown role, which, uh, you know, maybe he has done. Obviously not like Antonio Brown did, but you know, in the way that the team's operating, I guess you could give that to him. I don't know how good Deontay Johnson is, but I'm inclined to say that he's not a top 16 player at the position. In real NFL terms, I'm talking here, is he in the top 20, top 24? I'm I'm still not really sure. And I don't know if I can say the same thing. I don't know where Juju falls either. So as we're having this whole conversation, it's getting me back to what might have been your point originally, that Claypool actually has a very good chance of being the best actual receiver on this team. Yeah, like I feel I just like went I everywhere have a, with that, but... Yeah, I feel like I have a, like a sense of what Claypool is, and that's that's good. You know, whether or not he has a quarterback who can get him the ball or whatever, you know, if he's in the right offense, all of that is kind of secondary to the main concern is chase Claypool good. And I think he probably is like Deontay Johnson has been incredibly inefficient with his targets. And, you know, if a guy gets targets, that is a sign that he is probably good, but uh, man, for a guy to be this bad with this many targets, like I feel like at some point it becomes a counter indicator. So I'm, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty pessimistic on Deontay Johnson, even though from a fantasy perspective, a guy who gets, I mean, like 12 to 12 to 14 targets per game, like that's unreal. But that really is like what he's doing on a pretty consistent basis when he's healthy. Um, a guy who gets that kind of target share or like target volume, I mean, he just has to be in your lineup every week, even if he's inefficient. Well, yeah, so that's kind of where you have this big conundrum because 
like we've talked about many times here, looking at different positional groups, it doesn't really matter which player is the best player. It matters which te- which player the team views as the one that they're going to use and who they think is the best player. Um, I guess that that leaves us still in this very murky kind of water here with the Steelers. So I guess the one thing that you can say is it's still an offense where I want to go out and draft these receivers. I'm still going to feel decent about taking all of them. And I think that this confusion actually might depress their ADPs enough that it becomes that they become viable players. You know, the uh, the other thing too, is if you look at Smith Schuster, right in comparison to um, Deontay Johnson was a little bit better of an athlete, but he had a really, really solid breakout age. And then he did that breakout in the NFL. Um, I'm not really going anywhere with this other than I am just super confused. I've been rambling. Yeah, I need to look uh, at at PFF or pro football reference, but kind of like, has there been a receiver who has had 140 targets? That's what Deontay Johnson has, who has had that kind of volume and isn't a thousand yard receiver. Like we might be looking at historic inefficiency at the wide receiver position at Deontay. Like that's pretty incredible. Yep. So do you think it's worth though to talk about the fact that he actually did exceed expectations in terms of fantasy points in 2019? And then in terms of actual efficiency, uh, let me take a look here and see how efficient he was. Eh, Kind of a mixed bag, kind of a mixed bag. Um, I mean, 5.9 yards per target. That is incredibly inefficient. That's like a running back number. Yep. Yep. But I mean, we also have to think about the air yards per target though, right? Some of this is how they're using it. It was at 7.4. Yeah, but that is also not a good sign. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, Unless though the team continues to use him like that. I think, Matt, that you have a, a bias, a recency bias from those two drops he had a couple of weeks ago. From the two drops? <laughs> this, I'm guy, kidding. this guy drops stuff more than anyone else in the league. You know, like uh, it, he's, he drops passes enough that it really is like starting to test the maximum that like analytics community has of like, oh, drops don't matter with wide receivers. Like it's at the point where it's like, you know what? With Deontay Johnson, drops might actually matter. I mean, I, I guess that they would, except for the fact that, you know, you go back to week 13, 12 targets against Buffalo, 7, 13 against Cincy, 14 against Indi- well, Indianapolis. The, the week 14, like, he got benched for drops in week 14. <laughs> That's um, why he had only seven targets. <laughs> yeah, but the next week he got back at 13. Next week he got back, had 14, still at 145 air yards against the Colts. You know, 10.4 air yards per target there. Had a target market share of 29. The week after the drops, target market share of 34. Yeah, all of that is great, but he turned 13 targets into 59 yards. And some of that is because of how he's being used, but some of that is also because of drops. Okay. You know, I'm just, I'm well, saying he's, he's amazingly inefficient at turning targets into yards. Okay, so I'm actually not making this huge case for Deontay Johnson. I don't think I'm quite as as low as him on you are, but I think you make a valid point. But we could have been sitting... Well, hold on. Let me pull up here quickly to bring things back to Calvin Ridley, right? Because a knock on him heading into last season, as we already talked about. Yeah, so he was at uh, 9.3 receiving yards per target. Um, that That's a pretty pretty big discrepancy there. So I won't even have us explore that argument. All right, your summary here is you're worried about Deontay Johnson. You're not even sure he's good. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's a legitimate concern. I'm not sold that he's bad. You know, like a guy who gets 140 targets in 14 games is probably not bad, right? But I'm not like sold that he's good either. I'm just saying like there there's a significant question mark when it comes to Deontay Johnson and like one, uh, his overall skill set, but then two, like projecting him forward for future seasons. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a legitimate question. All right. So I'm definitely going to have to tweet this out to uh, Deontay Johnson and see, and see if he says no. Great. We'll get his Good. opinion. Um, 
All right, so that actually ate up a lot of time. I got to pick which which questions I'm most interested in here. Uh, Darren, Darren Waller, tight end one in no. 67% of weeks. Jalen Hurts. You want to talk we about that We got to talk one? about Jalen Hurts. All right. Yeah, Jalen Hurts. All yeah. right. Assuming Jalen Hurts is the guy in Philadelphia next year, which I think is a pretty safe assumption, how high should he go? He should be like a top five quarterback in fantasy. I mean, that that might seem hot takey, but... Uh, I don't I don't think it is like I think if you look at what he's done over the past three games, he probably is a top five fantasy quarterback or like very close to it. And now he has an entire offseason to to learn the offense or for them to build an offense around him. Um, I mean, he won't go in the top five, which is great. That means he's going to provide value, but he probably should. Yeah. So actually, before we got on tonight, I was taking I didn't have a chance to really read the whole thing. So I got kind of skimmed through it. But Davis Maddock at SportsGrid had a piece up and he was kind of talking about like the reemergence of mid round quarterbacks. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that that was tying into how how important rushing production has become. We know that Hertz has that he's shown what he can do with his arm. I'm not that against it. And I think you're right that people are going to be worried about the situation in Philly. This was a team receivers were largely banged up. The tight end position was banged up. Doesn't have the strongest wide receiver grouping, but there is some young talent there who knows what they do in the draft. But a larger point than that is we saw Hertz doing really well when thrust into the situation with what they had there this year. So I think you're right that, um, you know, there is a tremendous amount of upside as we look to next year in terms of dynasty matt do you have him as high as you are when you just consider his expectations for next year yeah i haven't i haven't really even thought about jalen hurts in dynasty um but shooting from the hip yeah i think probably top five wow okay i'm not sure i'm ready to take that plunge yet i I don't know if i could put him ahead of watson murray mahomes lamar jackson um, who did I leave out the Dak? You know, yeah, I mean, I, it's true. tough. Top, top five is aggressive, but I would say probably in the six, six to eight range, six to ten range. Okay. I mean, because of his rushing upside, I guess one would be like, how high, how high are you valuing quarterbacks anyway? So, like, when it comes to quarterback rankings, some of it it's like I almost don't even care because <laughs> it's not like I'm going to be investing in some of these guys anyway. Right. But um, yeah, he's he's young. Based on his rushing ability, based on um, the quarterbacks who were similar to him and what they did uh, early in their careers, based on some of the passing ability we've seen out of him in the NFL, which like he's been much better as a passer than I would have expected. Uh, and then based on what he did in college. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel and the fact that he's young, uh, although that doesn't matter as much at the quarterback position. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, yeah, he has to be in the top 10 in dynasty, but if you wanted to be aggressive about it and put him in the top five, I think it can be justified. All right. All right. Fair enough. Um, there are two more questions or two more topics. I definitely want to get to here. One is Darren Waller tight end one in 67% of weeks going to be the tight end two this year as we move into 2021 is he in the kelsey george kittle tier no i think he's like a half tier below that but certainly like a full tier above all of the other tight ends so what what does he have to do to get into that tier uh that's a good question why Uh, isn't he he in it right i mean kelsey or kittle like he he hasn't has he actually matched them in terms of like production, like he's not all that far off, but he's not there. Right. I mean, from a fantasy perspective, I would argue he is. Okay. We'll make, make the argument. All right. Well, um, for example, um, yeah, actually, as I start looking into this, I actually can't make the argument. So Kelsey was a tight end one at 93% of weeks. Waller only did it 67%. And I suppose that if Kittle had played the whole season, I might not be feeling uh, quite as strongly there. All right. Yeah, and there's, and there's nothing wrong at all with Waller, who, who's been awesome back-to-back years with over 1,000 yards receiving. Uh, actually, he's probably going to be, after week 17, uh, back-to-back years with over 1,100 yards receiving. Uh, he had unfortunate touchdown luck 
in 2019, I had some positive regression there. So he's had eight touchdowns this year. Like he's had a, a fantastic season. Um, we would say, you know, like an all pro season, if not for Travis Kelsey, it's just Kelsey literally leads the league in receiving right now and has 11 touchdowns, you know, like clearly he's a, a tier above. And then, you know, the, the guy, uh, whose touchdown record or not touchdown record, whose receiving record he broke, uh, was George Kittle. You know, and, and Kittle's been fantastic, you know, pretty much since he, he entered the league. So I do have Kittle and Kelsey, a again, a half tier above Waller uh, and then Waller a whole tier above everyone else. But I do think that there's a, a significant enough difference between uh, Kelsey and Kittle and Waller. All right. That, that's fair. This is a random thing that I just noticed that I'm going to have to try to make sense of. Evan Ingram finished as the tight end 18 in PPR per game. I had him on one of my teams. Yeah, he, he was a tight end one 40% of the time. So I would have expected that he would have finished higher. That's just an odd finish. Um, we don't need to add any more context to that, though. All right, Matt, I actually went back and found the bet that you made with Fantasy Mansion for the shirtless podcast bet, which I, I don't know if that... Like, was it actually settled upon that was something that was actually going to happen? Like, were you taking that seriously? I mean, sure. It's, it was something that was said, uh, publicly. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would trust that mansion would do it if he had been on the losing side of it. I will certainly do it. Uh, now that I'm on the losing side of it. I mean, I'm pretty sure that mansion's going to volunteer to do it with you. Like he was very gung ho for it. Um, I, he, yeah, it he, seems like he's just looking for an excuse to, uh, to take his shirt off in general. Once, once people <laughs> to be able to see the good, maybe he's been doing a lot of pushups. Yeah. Know, I mean, you know, yeah. It was quarantine. He was working on the bod. Right. You know, well, I guess he probably is at home all day, every day, works from home like you. So, um, I mean, let's let's be honest, like we tend not to have video on anyway for our podcasting. So, you know, we maybe should have been a little more explicit about what the ground rules were (laughs) for this shirtless podcast and what that would involve. Uh, I'm assuming there has to be video, but does that mean the video is widely distributed? I'm thinking that's probably what Manchin had in mind. I'm, I'm fine with whatever. But we, we should have uh, articulated this with a little more intention. Right. Yeah, that definitely should have happened. And, and, and to give a little more context, see, you and I, although I'm not, I'm, we don't use any video. We just go purely audio. I know when we record with Manchin, we always include the video. On his show, he does the video. I'm not sure if he was doing the show with the same person every week, if they would have the video on. But I think you're right, Matt. He might just want to get on camera and just have the footage. Um, anyway, though, the bet was who scores more half PPR points per game, Cam Akers or DeAndre Swift. Not even close. Uh, Swift yeah. was at 13 and change. Akers was only at seven and change. And I think overall, Swift had the better season. Yeah. Now, I totally agree. Swift did have the better season. Now, answer this question for me if you can. Yep. Who do you think is the better player? Hmm. I think that I have to go with DeAndre Swift and I'll tell you why coming out of school I would have given a little bit of an edge to DeAndre Swift feeling like I had more evidence that overall all around he was the better player I think that Akers can do it all I I don't think he's quite as good of a receiver. I mean, I really like Akers, but he had trouble getting past Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown on his depth chart. Now, I know that they used an early round pick on Henderson the season before, and I really liked Henderson, but that and that is something that I have to ding Akers a little bit for. And now he did get into the fold and really take things over. I would have liked to have seen it happen earlier. I've been of the opinion that Kerryon Johnson is actually pretty decent. You also had AP there. So it wasn't like Swift wasn't competing with guys either and still did get to the top of the depth chart. I, I don't think that it's a huge difference. It might just be a small kind of tiny difference, but I do have to put Swift ahead of Akers. Okay. And I like so, Akers. I really like Akers as, you know, as a, as a fan of Florida state, a team now in shambles, mind you, um, you know, I have an allegiance to Akers, if you will. Okay, so does that mean that you are taking Swift ahead of Acres in fantasy drafts next year? Yeah, I think that I am. And okay. I, it sounds like you're not. 
Um, I don't know. I just have to see sort of where ADP settles out, but uh, I hear All what right. you're saying yeah. about Swift uh, getting his lead back job faster than acres. I think that had much less to do with acres and more to do with just like the weirdness of uh, how McVay runs his backfield. But I think acres is the better player. Maybe some of this is just take lock, but I don't think it is like, if well, we it's not, cause you really, you really like Swift coming out of school. Right. So I, I don't think it's take lock. He, you actually I mean, had him at number we, one longer than anybody else. I know. Yeah. If we look at what acres did, um, in his final four games, like when he actually did have the lead back job, like that, that four game stretch is better than anything that we saw out of a four game stretch from Swift. And I would say almost actually, if you just take those four games consecutively for acres, and then you take any of Swift's best four games, that four game stretch for acres probably still stands up. Yep. Cruz is a legit talent, not to take anything away from Swift, but um, yeah, like I, I feel like Mansion had good process uh, in, in terms of like what the bet was. Um, Swift was able to carve out a role much earlier. Uh, Acres got injured. I think that worked against him. But in terms of like what I'm trying to discover, like I'm basically trying to bet on who I think is the better player. And I still think based on what we've seen and then just based on, you know, like college physical profile, all that. I do think acres is the better player. All right. Let me toss back one question to you here on this though. So you mentioned that McVay was using the running backs in kind of a weird way. To me, if I, well, I guess there's questions now of exactly what's going to happen in Detroit, but I find it unlikely that Swift doesn't have, the overwhelming majority of control of that backfield all of next season. I could see acres not coming in, not net. Like I don't think it's a given we go into next season with him locking up 60, 65% of that backfield and that's sustaining throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's fair. So I think both we, backs yep. will have questions about their workloads entering next year. So you're, you're just really making, the statement that you think acres is the better player. That doesn't really mean though, that you'd be drafting him over swift. Um, what though, like what if their ADP were separated by just one pick? Are you still going to go? You're, you're not feeling strong enough that you would, if you had 10 teams, you would go acres every time. Yeah, I would need to think about it. And I'd, I'd honestly just kind of want to see what the off season brings in terms of who is who's the coaching staff that is brought into Detroit? Yep. What does Detroit do with the, the other backs that they have there? You know, what happens in LA? Does Malcolm Brown leave? Like there are just, there are lots of questions that I want settled about the backfield because so much is determined by volume. But uh, I, I think acres is the better player. I might be wrong. So I would probably hedge a little bit by taking you know, probably 75% acres, 25% swift if they had similar ADPs. Um, but I mean, a big part of me would just want to go with acres every time. Okay. You know, the, the other thing that clouds this decision for me too, is the Rams this season have been a very confusing team to me. So like, as I look yeah, forward, as I look forward to next year, I'm just super confused as to what to expect. Um, all right, Matt, before we close down, I, I understand people are not going to be playing fantasy, but I imagine people there will still be watching. If they are listening to us now, they are probably big enough fans that they're going to be watching this weekend. Give me the top two wide receiver cornerback matchups to pay attention to uh, as we watch on Sunday or okay. any other I days of the week. I think there's maybe only one really okay. because some of the others, like we're not actually sure as to whether they will happen because teams might be arresting starters, et cetera. Uh, but uh, actually I'll give you two. The, the okay. first one, the clear, the clear one is DeAndre Hopkins versus Jalen Ramsey. This is going to be the ninth time that they've gone against each other, you know, going back to their days in the AFC South. Um, we saw them go against each other earlier this year in uh, week 13 uh hopkins didn't have a great game he had an okay game um but he had eight targets against jalen ramsey specifically on that he had only three receptions 20 yards uh i mean ramsey for the most part has done a really good job previously in shutting down deandre hopkins uh hopkins has a chance 
to finish uh, the year as the league leader in receiving yards, but uh, he he couldn't have a tougher matchup in trying to get there. So that is definitely something to pay attention to in Cardinals versus Rams. Uh, and then I think the other marquee matchup is Amari Cooper versus James Bradbury. Uh, Cooper just went off last week uh, and in doing so secured his fifth thousand yard campaign in six years. Like people talk about how Amari Cooper sucks, like one of the best sucky receivers of all time if that's actually the case. Uh, But he has struggled against bigger physical cornerbacks, and that's exactly what Bradbury is. Uh, And when they played... I believe in week nine, uh, sorry, is in week five. Uh, Cooper was just uh, two for 23 on four targets. Like Cooper had a bad, legit bad game against James Bradbury. Uh, and so I think it's another downgrade situation for Cooper uh, against Bradbury, who's having like a career best year. Uh, and so that will be something to keep an eye on. Um, I'm imagining Bradbury does pretty much what he's been doing all year, but you know, maybe, maybe Cooper actually has a, a good game in him, but uh, that will be a tough matchup for Cooper and a good one to watch. Got it. All right. Well, I think that closes things down for us here. Hopefully, when you listen to this, you will have won a fantasy title or multiple. We will be here all offseason through the playoffs. We'll catch back up next week on the MVP race. Maybe take a look forward to some of these playoff games. Recap what happened in 2020. Look forward to 2021. But that does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Indeed and Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it. <laughs>